Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Getting your child confidently from A to B without losing your sense of identity along the way is a challenge. Your baby is your number one priority. You want to protect them at all costs to ensure they're safe, secure, and definitely supported. By having a pushchair that makes you feel more at ease, you can focus on everything else that comes with having a baby. Owning a bugaboo will feel like it's It's like an extension of your personal style, known for its seamless and smooth wheels and plenty of storage space that really mattered to me. A bugaboo isn't ever a burden. It's just become part of the family. Find out more by visiting bugaboo.com. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. It's no secret that childbirth is tough, but the reality of what follows is rarely discussed. I guess you could say it's shrouded in mystery, and while no two births are the same, I want to use my story um, to share exactly what happens um, in the hope that this will empower others with the truth and to encourage a conversation. This is a deeply personal thing for me to do, and in the absence of any education about the whole process and knowledge, I feel that all too many women just aren't capable of making informed decisions or even trusting their own bodies. I must also add a note that this episode contains some graphic childbirth references, and it may be triggering for some of you, so please do make your own judgment to switch off at any time or come back to it at a later date. So this week's Food for Thought, as I've said, explores my own birth story with midwife and author Marie Louise, also known as the modern midwife. Hello, Marie. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. I can't thank you enough for, um, first of all, speaking to me before we even decided to record this podcast, because you were very, very reassuring on the phone. Oh, good. No, it's, it's always good to have a little chat, I think, beforehand when it comes to anything rather than just talking blindly. It's always more difficult, I think. So I'm really glad that I could help in some way. And of course, massive congratulations. He is beautiful. I stalk your Instagram quite a lot to see him. 
Oh, thank you. I think um, obviously it's so good to have someone as qualified as you to help me with this podcast recording because it's I've never ever recorded something so personal. Yeah, honest, I think in my entire life, Marie. So as much as we are having the time of our lives, I think um, giving birth in a pandemic wasn't really mm-hmm. anything I ever thought would happen. It, and no. time just goes, it goes so quickly. And my birth definitely didn't go the way I wanted it to. And I mean, yeah. I was, as I told you, I wanted a home birth. And what yeah. happened, I was wearing a mask in an operating theatre. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be more different, yeah. No, it definitely didn't. And most of the stuff that I started with, so for our listeners, if we start with how I think I first started learning about childbirth from antenatal classes mm-hmm. and online hypnobirthing, uh, which my husband and I did together. Let's just explain for everyone listening, what is hypnobirthing and why is it recommended by the NHS? Yeah, so it's it, the NHS. I'm so pleased that how much the NHS are now supporting hypnobirthing and and how we are taking um, a turn really to return to our midwifery heritage, as I say it, mm-hmm. and our our knowledge of of the birthing body and and pregnancy. Um, so hypnobirthing is a set of mind management tools, um, and it's it's an logical approach to pregnancy, birth, and also the postnatal period that utilizes evidence so you when you take a hypnobirthing course you aren't just learning about hypnobirthing you are learning about your pregnancy as well so it's a form of antenatal education and the the number one thing that I always start with in hypnobirthing is fear dumping and releasing that fear because a lot of what we understand about birth it comes from the media that is not an accurate reflection of how birth looks or even how birth should look yeah I mean I think the reason I fell in love with it um is that I did find it completely empowering in fact it was the hypnobirthing course that made me originally want to have I know it didn't happen for me but the home birth um it really educated me I felt on on tapping into that natural aspect which like you say all I'd ever known apart from from my friend's stories, was those TV dramas where a woman is on a bed screaming, like the, the loudest scream you can imagine, and everyone's running yeah. around like it's mad. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so with home birth, the best evidence that we actually have shows that home birth for healthy, low-risk women actually means less intervention and better outcomes. And that's for both first-time mums and mums that have had babies before. So actually, home birth appears to be safer for all low-risk women. I guess um, this is the bit I've been half dreading but half looking forward to, and it, it's talking openly about about something personal. So, um, you know, I've obviously, I've, I've spoke to everyone, listen, I've spoken through this before with Marie, and the reason, again, that I'm sharing this is just to let you all know that it's okay when things don't go to plan. And I had quite naively thought, I'm fit, I'm healthy, everything will just go to plan, which I'm sure I'm not the only one that had that kind of misconception. But I guess my birth story starts in my 40th week, because um, I was the last one in my antenatal group to... Um, <laughs> you're getting all the whatsapp messages from everyone all your friends start oh, checking with you everyone's yeah. like 
you're going to labor yet is this the day oh are they Braxton Hicks is that a contraction you know everything oh, yes exactly the pressure it just starts mounting doesn't it? I joke with women and I say you you need um some sort of a person to deal with all of the inquiries that you've got set up an additional email like have you have you had your baby yet dot com yeah. or something <laughs> it's and ridiculous because I think and you'll find this Marie when you get to that point you, you feel a you are huge you're in some sort of pain you've got loads of weird pregnancy mm-hmm. symptoms that everyone has <laughs> yeah me because of covid um the coronavirus everything was different I'd already been told yeah. I most amazing midwife that I was very lucky I saw the same lovely girl Holly throughout the initial stages and oh, she brilliant. Had, yeah I was really really lucky and I think coronavirus helped with that because they wanted to minimize the exposure I guess to multiple people so I don't yeah. know I was very yes you had real continuity that's that's so good yeah and that's that made me really confident I really wanted her ideally at the home birth if it had happened but I was told that if I'd gone into labour at the weekend, basically I couldn't have a home birth anyway. And the situation could change daily with coronavirus. So one mm. day there was a shortage of ambulances. I may not be able to have that birth anyway. And we'd bought the whole kit. I had a birthing pool at home. I'd set the lounge up, everything. Oh. And I think we'll start with talking about sweeps. So, I mean, I had an what they call an unsuccessful sweep in my yeah. 40th week and then again in week 41 so how often Marie do babies actually come on time and what is a sweep for people listening so um babies actually the the percentage of babies that actually come on their due date is between three to five percent um so <laughs> uh not very many to answer your question directly and um as we know a due date is just a window of time so it's the normal length of pregnancy is often debated and not agreed globally to start with and various different experts do say different things about what they believe to be acceptable however in the UK we say between 37 weeks to 42 weeks so that's a whole five week window so so babies can come at any any time and and we do get fixated naturally we get fixated on on this due date because that's the date that we've been given however it's completely normal to go overdue it's completely normal to have a baby at 37 weeks that is still very much in the window of normality and I think as soon as you've hit the 40 week mark you know everyone's like oh, okay well that's the day that you're meant to have your baby what's going on you know and the, and there's this sort of ingrained narrative that something's not right because you haven't had your baby yet but actually that is completely incorrect it's very very normal to go overdue and in fact 80 percent of first-time mums do go overdue so a sweep is where a midwife it can be done in a clinical area so it can be done where you would normally have your antenatal appointments or it can be done at home if a midwife is coming out to see you because although it's a form of intervention still, it's not a, a form of medical intervention. So we're only using our fingers as opposed to drugs or any pharmaceuticals. Then what we would do is we'll find the cervix and the aim of it is to stimulate the cervix. So ideally we could get a finger into the cervix and separate the membrane. So those waters there that are touching on the top of the cervix and that stimulation well, the, the aim of that is to send messages to the uterus to start contracting and say, you know, right, let's let's start 
acting now it it's got a 50 percent um success rate so we don't really know if it works so my whole process i remember it was it was week 41 so we'd done these these sweeps and the day after my mucus plug went um Mm -hmm. i might let you describe what a mucus plug is to everyone actually you're probably used to it (laughs) (laughs) well used to it yeah I mean so mucus plug uh, isn't quite uh, the knight in shining armor shall we say but it has done such an amazing job of protecting your baby so that's what I always say to women it doesn't look like a knight in shining armor but it really is I promise you it basically looks like a dollop of snot that might have a bit of blood stains um, sort of stringy uh, consistency to it And what that has been doing is that has been protecting your baby from infection throughout pregnancy. So so it builds up during pregnancy and some women actually lose their mucus plug and then it reforms again. But um, generally what happens is your mucus plug forms when your cervix starts to do things that is coordinated by the uterus contracting and having tightenings. So then the, the cervix will just slightly open a bit and that will enable the mucus plug to come down and out. And that's why it happens. It's quite um, gross, just to be really honest. It, it was quite <laughs> yeah. a bit of gunge, like pinky, whitey, discharge gunge in your knickers. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. No, it doesn't look very pleasant. I do, I do pre-warm them and say, don't worry about it. It looks like a big dollop of like strange snot. When it came, I was like, oh, this is it. You know, this is yeah this means it's starting. But this was the misconception because for me, Marie, on the Wednesday, so the day after the sweep, the mucus plug went, and I'd already mm-hmm. been having Braxton Hicks. But then by Thursday evening, the I was definitely having. Um, contractions or in hypnobirth and they call it surges which yeah I was working like normal which was one big mistake I think I'd made um because I just wanted to I knew it could be a long process I was trying to act like normal I remember and it was after lunch and at first they lasted about 30 seconds long I'd say they were every 15 minutes but uh, my mm-hmm. water hadn't broken and that's the big misconception like you said I wasn't aware of that and it was only so this had happened on Wednesday. I'd had contractions all day long. And then right. Thursday, another whole day of it, quite mm-hmm. painful. I mean, they are very painful, the contractions. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any pain relief. And I remember telling my husband, um, one thing we'd learned in antenatal, so for anyone listening that's been through birth or tried this, I just needed him to push my hips together. Yeah. It really helped us to feel yeah. like um, pressure. And I had a hot water bottle that I kept mm-hmm. putting because I felt the pain in my back, not my belly. What position was your bait was Zachary? So Zachary was um, the right way up, head down, but he was and facing the correct way, which okay. Was, so he wasn't OP as we call it. He wasn't back to back. No, no, okay. he the right way round. Well, they thought at, at this point because um, that was questioned again later. But he was always the right way round. But yeah. he was a bit towards the left, so he okay. wasn't he wasn't going down as straight as they'd they'd hoped sure right and I think that had also triggered my pelvic girdle pain a little bit throughout pregnancy all these different kind of symptoms so yeah um, yeah so I, I would end up on my hands and knees on the living room floor and we'd set our her- hypnobirthing scene up by this point we got all the cushions out on the floor um my husband had bought loads of lovely candles because that's what I wanted I had my jars of marshmallows you know Aww. <laughs> all the stuff that you really think that you know you really um 
you really want to um, get out to make you feel comfortable. And but how did you feel at that time? Did you feel excited? Did you feel nervous? Like, how were you actually feeling? I think, um, I mean, it was tiring because I hadn't slept the Wednesday evening because the contractions just, it's very difficult to sleep when you're getting contractions. Yeah. They say sleep. like five minutes and then you're woken up again um but I was excited because I thought I was about to have this birth that I'd always envisaged you know I was like oh these contractions it must be they must be speeding up but then they didn't speed up and and we rung the midwife and come Friday so bear in mind this had already started on Thursday we're now Mm. now on Friday um Holly came back over with another midwife and they they used the speculum I don't know how you describe that it's like a glass that they put inside to see if my yeah. had broken and they had broken but only partially mm-hmm. yeah. so they said and I wasn't aware of this whole scenario being a thing I didn't know that if your waters had partially broken you're at more of a risk if you leave it any longer of an infection. So they said that I'd have to go to the hospital. I had like 12 hours to go into labor at home. And if it didn't happen, then my dream of a home birth was over already before it even begun. Yeah. So with with that, yeah, so speculum is usually plastic, um, That's but it looks like glass, so it's just clear. And with the uh, with the waters going, that's exactly it. If once your waters have gone most hospital trusts and guidelines will say ideally you want to be in labor within 24 hours so that's when that's when that clock watching that sort of that starts which is exactly what happened with you they've they've given you a specific time that that you would need to go in to be induced Mm. and I was terrified of the thought of I hadn't been into hospital just to set the scene for everyone because of covid I'd avoided the hospital for such a long time. And at this point, it was a little bit scary because obviously at the time we're recording this remotely now still, Marie and I on on our laptops at home. But at this point, it was very much heightened. The cases were rising. It was the record week of cases, actually, the week I think I... This was happening, and it was really, it was really scary because I thought, let's hope it comes. And I think that pressure of even being told that didn't really help. No. And then we ended up going into the hospital at midnight that day. Um, and my husband straight away obviously couldn't be with me. And that's another level. I'm getting contractions. I'm on my own in the hospital at midnight. Yeah. And I was being told, oh, you need to be monitored now. And then, um, you know, you'll probably have to go and be induced. Um, and, and that for me was something I hadn't even really thought about being induced. So if you could describe to all our listeners what being induced means as well, just so we've got the clarification there. Yeah, so induction is where your labour is started artificially, and that, and that can be for a number of different reasons. Um, so the, one of the top reasons for induction of labour is actually going overdue. Um, so, But it, as I said, it can be for many different reasons, like raised blood pressure, like if your waters go um, and, and you don't go into labour within that time frame. And the process of, of induction of labour involves pharmaceuticals, so it involves drugs, um, and usually that is prostaglandins, so that's like a gel or a pessary, and then it moves on to IV syntocinone, which is the hormone drip that contains oxytocin. 
So we produce oxytocin naturally in our bodies. And that's, you know, I talk, talk a lot about oxytocin enhancers and creating the best birthing environment and why home birth can be a brilliant option um, for oxytocin. But that's the synthetic version that we that we use in hospitals. And just one point on induction, a lot of people do think that because you're having synthetic oxytocin, as in the, the man-made drug that we use for induction, that is the same as you making your own oxytocin. Yeah. But in fact, the latest research shows that that synthetic oxytocin does not cross the blood-brain barrier. So therefore, it is you, your body utilizes it very differently. So, yeah. yeah so it it's a medical procedure, and it is um you would you you need to be in hospital for it because of the drugs and and be monitored quite closely if you are having an induct your your labor started artificially so an induction yeah it, it was um to be told that because obviously I had really wanted to um have a complete different scenario I think it was such a shock and I was on my own in the middle of the night in a hospital and I couldn't see my husband for an hour or more because of the monitoring process that was happening at that point in time to check obviously the baby was still healthy I presume I was hooked up yeah but we actually bumped in at 1am to another midwife when we were walking down the corridor when I'd rejoined my husband who said well, there's no point you going into the labor ward yet because we don't have room until the next morning. And she said, I suggest you go back home. And we were so grateful to bump into this midwife. Right? She was she was amazing, Marie. She was called Rachel and she she was she just said, Go and have some time with your husband, have a cuddle, get into bed, just try and relax because the whole experience for me so far I don't think I'd even been very good at producing my own oxytocin because of all the events that happen and COVID and all the different things I think I was the least I didn't feel like I was in this loving environment I just felt scared and and frightened and I guess that didn't help my labor progress naturally either looking back it probably didn't help at all but anyway it still didn't happen and at this point obviously I hadn't slept since going back to the Thursday when I was waking up on Saturday morning to go into the hospital and and we went straight to the labor ward this time and that ruled out the birth center which would have been my second option because i'd i'd put in my head well a home birth okay if it goes wrong i'll just be whisked up the hospital up the road and i'll pop into the birth center and i'll get in this nice pool you know the the dream scenario in your head and that was ruled out because of risk of infection um and I didn't really know that. So with with a risk of infection, why why was that the case at that point, Marie? Yeah, so your main defense mechanisms against infection during pregnancy for you and your baby are your mucus plug that we've mentioned earlier and then then that goes as labor starts and then your water so your your baby's actually in um water we call it membranes and that protects you and the baby from infection. Then once they go there is the the longer that we leave it the more chance that that infection can start because that defense mechanism is no longer there and and an infection has the opportunity to travel up the genital tract and to affect the mother and of course the baby and that can be presented in various different ways um like you know faster heart rate raised temperature but sometimes we don't know the severity of of the infection and how it's developing uh, so that's why it's it's advised that ideally you would go into labour within 24 hours. However, some women don't 
to do that and they decline induction of labor mm. and they just have antibiotics and wait for their body to do it that is an option but it's it, that does go against the guidelines because of that the risk of infection oh, i didn't know that yes yeah, enough that you just don't know i guess and this is why yeah. it's so important to discuss these things because i didn't even know that this could this is this this would occur and i also then obviously arrived at the labor ward that morning and I, luckily, there was a nice room that we could use, which had a pool in it. So again, I thought, oh, maybe I am allowed oh. to use a pool. Got my oh. head a little bit. But she actually had to, the lovely midwife on duty that day, Betty, she actually had to pop my waters, the, the ones that were left. So only yeah. half the waters had gone in the first place, which was even more confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. So many different things. So I had to lie there on the bed. And this is it's a very strange feeling when you feel all this warm liquid gushing out of you suddenly very strange feeling yeah I always I say to women is I pre-warn them if I have to do it's called an ARM an artificial rupture of membranes in maternity so that's Mm. the breaking of your waters and I always say to women before I do it this is going to feel so strange it's going to feel like you're wetting yourself but you're not you've just got no control over this fluid that's coming out of you um and quite often women are shocked at how much fluid there is there's so much fluid isn't there and it keeps coming away coming away so much I couldn't believe it we had so many of those um protective sheets down on the bed and of course so that the next thing was that I was told obviously that um obviously being induced they advised me you probably should try and take the pain relief the epidural and on my birth Mm. plan the epidural was the lowest like I I didn't want it I am terrified of needles which is why I would have made a rubbish dietitian in a hospital because I (laughs) Not for me at all being around that environment. I admire all of you. Um, And I'd have to have a cannula fitted. And a cannula for me, I was shaking with nerves already after being broken. Then I knew from friends' advice that apparently it's just so much better to have the pain relief before you start those artificial hormones pumping in because apparently that's much more painful, like you said, because it is so artificial. It's not natural. Yeah, so everyone does have a different opinion on this and it really does depend on the clinical situation and and the patient themselves so for example I have had women where they've had three babies before and they've had a little bit of a stalled labor say so so the labor hasn't progressed and as as midwives say you know that we think that she'll need just a little woof of synto and basically that just means that we think the body just needs a tiny bit of syntocin on to kind of kickstart um the, the labor again or to, to continue on so in that case you know some women opt not to have the epidural because we it's not we don't think that they're going to be utilizing the syntocin on for a very long time so that's why you know they might opt for and say actually let me just see how i go first and then you know they might meet their baby within an hour or so not mm. not always but i mean this this is kind of the other side to it so that's why it's very specific and unique if you haven't had a baby before if you know you're, you're not in established or active labor and you're just starting off on syntocin on then maybe you would want to have the epidural before but it's not always the case for for everyone it's kind of like a case by case um judgment I suppose yeah yeah because I think we knew that at this point I I mean I, I just was not progressing and I think because of my fear and and the whole situation it just wasn't happening so we we had the epidural I think at that moment in time in my head, honestly, I I just felt like a bit of a failure. I felt, and I'm sure lots of women, oh, 
it's very difficult to describe um I knew I'd break down recording yeah. this episode um yeah like because because it's everything that you didn't want I felt like I was in a scenario where I was bringing a baby in in a way I just didn't want it to happen already I was just hooked yeah. up my arm was hanging off these you know all these different cables and tubes um and it just didn't feel right because I tried gas and air mm-hmm. and I just it didn't really offer me any pain relief I'm not sure what your thoughts are is it more effective on some people than other because for me yeah. it felt like I was given a bit of a headache <laughs> yeah yes yeah it, it does um so gas and air some some women absolutely love it and some women absolutely hate it again we are all so different so it works very differently for different people um and I think in particular as well if if the situation is you know if you're at home using gas and air um in a pool for example then it might give you some relief if you're in a hospital environment that's a bit of an alienated environment to you you're you're already feeling quite anxious and concerned a lot of what you had planned has then had to change then Entonox may not work as well and I, I can completely and it can make you feel a bit sick as well on top of that and when you're feeling anxious you feel a bit sick anyway and the headachey just feeling that you described that that is very common but I just before we go on just with the with the epidural and the, the whole environment that that is it's so tough I think when this happens and when you have such a beautiful plan of how everything is going to go and like you know, you, you were saying about how, how you've set up your lounge and it looks, you've got all the, your candles and it's all so calming and, and wonderful. And, and then that's gone from that situation to, to it being not only are we in, you know, the midst of a global pandemic and you're mm. in a hospital that seems completely absurd at that time. Then on top of that, you're having an, an epidural and having this synthetic hormones. It, it is very scary and I think that it what that's why it's so important that we do talk openly more about this so that the last thing that a woman ever does when she walks away from her birth is feel like she's failed in some way because I always say it is impossible to fail at labour and birth it's com- like that everybody is different there's no right and there's no wrong way to have a baby and when things don't go according to plan we need to understand that even more that there's no such thing as failure you do what's right for you at the time and what's right for your baby given the guidance and advice that you've been given and there's Mm -hmm. some things that are out of your control like you know what what happened with you and and you've you've done the best that you can possibly do to have the, the best experience you could possibly have and and it didn't go that way. But the key, I think, message is to know that you, n- no one is ever a failure here, ever. I think that's so important, God, welling up when you were saying that, because it's it, um, so many women will go through this type of experience. And it, it's scary. Not only you you self-administering something like an epidural, which I didn't know, again, that yeah. I control. So I would have to click the button and you feel it like a cold drip going Yeah down and and then the catheter of course I knew you'd have a catheter fitted to help you pass urine but it's I hadn't really processed the fact I'd be led on my back for a whole day Mm. in a hospital room which again is something hypnobirthing told me was not ideal I mean they talk about I remember it very clearly UFO which do you want to say what that stands for everyone yeah (laughs) so uh, UFO is upright forward and open 
So you want your pelvis to be as upright as possible. You want it to be tilted slightly forward because that enables the baby to get into that good position. So that's the OA position, the position that Zachary was in. Yeah. And opens. You want your, your, rather than crossing your legs over, lots of women we sit, don't we, with our legs crossed over, that actually reduces the amount of space in the pelvis. So towards the end of pregnancy, so we're talking 30, from about 34 weeks, you want to make sure that you're a UFO as much as possible. So you're sitting upright, upright, you're, you're having your pelvis tilted slightly forward. So that means that your pelvis is higher than your knees, if you can, when you're sat and and as open as possible. So trying not to cross your cross your legs over things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember doing that religiously in the weeks up to it and sitting on my Swiss ball, all the kind of things that um mm-hmm. that they tell you that you, you should be prepared for. But I think the epidural and all these different things had such a kind of almost a demonized um approach to anyone to you know I I felt like when I was lying in the bed that I was going against absolutely everything that I had had envisaged and of course I guess having no sleep by this point for quite a few days and being very scared of the dangers and people are trying to tell me there's a risk to my baby and I couldn't quite process it I was like but why you know what what's happening and then my husband tried to make me eat something I remember because thankfully at this point he was allowed in that little room on the labor ward and I know so many women didn't have the husband for that bit because mm-hmm. um, of COVID so I was very lucky at, at this point anyway to have him there for that bit but he tried to give me a smoothie a green one um Aww. I vomited straight back up so then I was vomiting mm-hmm. as well as having the epidural and oh. I Goodness. I was to myself, I was like, this is not going to plan at all. And by the early evening on the Saturday, I'd only got to about five, I say only, it's still obviously an achievement, but I got to five centimetres and and the midwife we'd had, Marie, that starts, as you know, you do shifts, don't you? So she was clocking off at eight and I thought, oh, I want him to come before 8pm because I've had this one woman with me the whole day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that you really get on of with. Of course you do. Yeah, you build a bond. The thing is, that spending <laughs> yeah. that much time, and it's intimate, as you know, as well. Yeah. You you are in this room and they're with you constantly. They're providing you um, with so much information that you need to know about what's happening and the situation mm-hmm. is ever evolving during birth. Things happen quite quickly, even though I know you're you, with your cervix, you it took you a while to get to five centimeters but in terms of with the monitoring that's ever evolving you're you're constantly hearing the baby's heartbeat yeah. seeing it um perhaps on a screen or printed out depending on what technology they're using and when you've got the syntocin on the hormone drip running you know these are constantly changing situations that that you're both monitoring together and you do build up such a close bond with someone in that room and and that's your birth space as well I say to to women and when I'm working on delivery suite and providing that one-to-one care to to women I always try to make sure that no one comes in that room before um, I say that they do because that is a a woman's birth space and we need to respect that so yeah you build up a a very close bond I can completely see um, why and how you'd want to have your baby by 8 p.m. Um, with that midwife it's like another you're you're so right in saying about how it's your space and another added element to this was of course because of COVID everybody wearing the masks throughout um yeah I wasn't wearing one it was only as things progressed so the baby's heartbeat then began to increase and I developed a very high temperature um at the time when I say very high I think it was on the borderline of what was considered to be too high but um Mm -hmm. And and 
then eventually when a consultant came to examine me so this is all progressing and I, at this point I just remember being a bit out of it because I guess I hadn't eaten all day as well and you're going through labor which oh, is strange goodness, yeah you feel like it when you're on an epidural which is the weird thing because you do feel the contractions but not obviously as heightened as they would have been without the pain relief yeah you must be exhausted but my baby then as well had pooed inside me Mm -hmm. Um, that's something that happened to my friend my friend as well and why why does that happen Maria at that point is is it common yes it can actually so it's called meconium stained lycor that's what we call it and that it basically means that babies had a poo inside and that can be for various reasons so the first reason it can be if babies are quite overdue so they're quite mature sometimes they can open their bowels in utero as in have a poo during your Mm. the end of your pregnancy during your labor um, and that can be down to maturity, but it can also be a sign of distress when they open the bowels as well in utero. And not only that, meconium is um, causes real irritation to the lungs. So when if babies are to breathe in meconium at birth, it's called meconium aspiration. That can be extremely dangerous for babies, which is why we then really want to monitor babies quite closely. Mm. Um, how, having said that, lots of babies are born with meconium stained lycor and they're born in a very healthy condition. They have no further problems. But sometimes we know that there is a risk that they can aspirate that meconium and meconium on the lungs. Um, as I said, it's it's a real irritant. It can cause real problems with the breathing. So, yeah, it can come for various different reasons, but we need to monitor it the same because we can never be sure if it's down to the baby's not in distress and it's just that the baby's mature or there's something else going on such as in an infection and the baby has become distressed yeah which with my temperature at that point in time I was obviously advised to take antibiotics straight away for me and the baby and then being told you have to go and have a c-section it was one thing after another and first of all I'm worried about the risk to the baby but not really I didn't really fully understand at that point in time what was happening obviously I I took the antibiotics as it went through the cannula in an IV IV drip but I did ask at the time I said well come can we assess how my baby is when when he's born you know and then discuss this at that point afterwards Mm -hmm. because as I got to eight centimeters um later on that day the midwife had left um the room just seemed really hot everything seemed really I I just wanted ice all the time and water and I was I think I was in a bit of denial or I just I just thought well maybe the room's so hot that's why my temperature's rising but no that's a logical thing to think I think that's completely normal I don't I don't think that you were in denial I think that's that's what we should be trying to do think we should be trying to enhance your environment as much as possible Mm -hmm. before we think okay this it perhaps this is uh worse than we thought perhaps we thought perhaps we think this is an infection you know we need to look at the obvious things first before we start diving in and jumping in and the world health organizations say that we are offering too much too soon so what your approach is very logical it's hot in here let's call it down and see what happens and the the heating had been fluctuating that day which was another little thing like one minute was too cold but in Mm. order to the room is complicated in a hospital you can't heat an individual room it's hooked up to somewhere else in exactly the and so anyway that that aside I obviously didn't want a c-section and I I remember being um oh, composed um myself um <sighs> 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I remember at this point being very nervous because obviously the epidural is probably the most medication my body's received in a very long time. But I was physically mm. shaking, Marie, to the point where yeah. I didn't know that's a side effect of an epidural. So my whole body, and I think it's important women know if they haven't had a baby, my whole body was vibrating. My teeth mm. were chomping together, chattering. And that's because of the epidural. And I didn't know. Yeah, so that can happen. And and that coupled with the anxiety of the situation just can make things so much worse. I've, I've looked after lots of women that, that have ended up really trembling and shaking and, and exactly as you say, their jaws chattering as well. It's, it's quite shocking when you're going through it yourself, though I... Well, I mean, I haven't been through it myself, but I imagine, and, and to witness it as a midwife, it's you know, it. Yeah, you're watching your tough. body, and you have mm. no control over it. And I think that's another thing to consider: is that you don't have control right now. Your body's doing what it needs to do, but you've got this other added intervention happening at the same time. And actually, if it hadn't been for my husband at this point, because we'd been taught in the hypnobirthing course to always ask about yes. alternatives. And I, I didn't, I have nothing against cesarean sections if that's a choice, but it wasn't my personal choice. It wasn't how exactly. I wanted to go. And he mm. said, is there any other option? It was 11.30 p.m. Um, by this point. And the consultant said, well, I'll give you one more hour if you're fully dilated or not, and then we can discuss this, and then we're going to give you a C-section. So again, I was given another deadline, an hour. And I was thinking, yeah. well, how do I suddenly wish my body, you know, t- to get mm-hmm. there? miraculously Marie I was fully dilated when she yeah came it's out. amazing that you yeah <laughs> I was wow like, how has my body suddenly expanded <sighs> to the full 10 centimeters and it was midnight exactly against all odds with your you know <laughs> oxytocin probably natural oxytocin anyway not being released yeah. and you you're feeling like that and it's, it's amazing your, your body still still went for it I couldn't believe it. But at that point, I thought, well, I can push now. I want someone to help me because I couldn't move. You can't move on an epidural. That's another thing to add. Your legs are numb. You can't physically sit yourself up or unless, well, you can use your abs, but it's very difficult basically to move. And I didn't want to give birth blood on my back. So I was asking questions like, well, can I push now? And they're like, no, you need to have the C-section. I was like, no, I don't understand. And my husband again pushed back and she said, well, we can try a forceps delivery. 
And again, forceps is one of those things I just heard scare stories about, Marie, about the band in other countries in the world and how they should belong in a museum, all these sorts of things. And in my head, I was thinking C-sectional forceps, two of the things that I just couldn't face. But I think actually I'm so grateful now for that choice. But first of all, I should add as well that I thought that by picking forceps, which I did over the C-section, I would be staying in that room. But I was, Mm. it was like panic zone central, loads of people enter the room and I was rushed to the emergency theatre and a mask was on my face and I couldn't really breathe. Mm. That was scary. That, oh goodness, it sounds really, that whole process sounds very scary. Um, And I'm a bit surprised, to be honest, that they didn't explain to you that that was what needed to happen that you needed to we call it a trial in theater meaning that it's a trial run of the forceps and if the forceps doesn't work then the next option is is cesarean section because then the baby needs to be born as soon as possible so i am i am surprised that they didn't run through that with you because that should always be discussed in order for you to make informed decisions, you need to know what's happening. Yeah, that's just it. And I, I think if it was said, it probably wasn't said in a way that was uh, maybe empathetic or in a way that's communicatable to someone like myself, who's not an expert in this area and the language used. Because I was just basically given a sheet of paper to sign. I remember having to sign this this signature and not really understanding. And my husband and I both have spoken about this since, and we've gone into a lot of work on on discussing the birth since. We both thought we'd be staying in that room, but no, we were we were quite shocked. And that should have been explained to you quite clearly. Yeah, that should have been. An operating mm. theatre is, as many women will know who've had deliveries in this way, it's very bright. The light, it goes against, again, all the hypnobirthing things. Um, and in COVID, I couldn't even see anyone's face and everyone's wearing, there were so many people in there, everyone was wearing a mask and I was being, because you can't lift your own body, so you're being transferred from one hospital bed into the actual operating table and I remember them then saying we're going to give you even more anesthetic so you don't feel a thing and obviously Mm. I was like great but how am I meant to push because she'd said you get you get a go here and if it doesn't happen then we will do the c-section so in my head I was thinking I've got to get this out you know I can't fail again it was just another added element and I don't think I'd experienced it up to this point one bit of natural happy I'm giving birth feelings I was just worried the entire time and luck of the one silver lining to this whole story is that um I able was able to get him out in two pushes which was wow just remember my abs I remember thinking I've got stomach muscles in there somewhere if I can (laughs) 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 and it's such a strange feeling your baby being pulled out of your stomach and feeling mm. just being wrenched out of you it it's I can't really describe it Marie it's a difficult one to describe it is and and lots of women to be honest do describe that as being the feeling um because the baby is busy, is physically being pulled out with the forceps mm. of course when you're pushing as well that that is a great help but it, it is it's a huge intervention to have a, a forceps birth but yeah. just with what was happening clinically, I suppose the other side of things is is sepsis is considered to be 
uh, a medical emergency that, that needs addressing as, as soon as possible. And we know that sepsis is actually very dangerous for both mm. mother and baby. So I think the way in which the, your birth was was handled was probably as an emergency so, so that the team are thinking, right, yeah. this baby needs to be born, we're concerned. The waters have been gone for a very long time, so we call it prolonged rupture of membranes. They're probably thinking there's meconium stained glycol there, so we're seeing some fetal distress. We're concerned that the maternal temperature is rising. You've got you've got an increased temperature, and they're also concerned that the baby's heartbeat is a bit faster. So they're looking at it from the whole clinical perspective, and they, their best interest is to keep you and baby safe. But at the time. That's, that is very scary. And when things aren't being explained thoroughly to you and properly to you and the focus is on, on it being an emergency and that, you know, from the beginning, as I was saying, that things, we don't always need to treat things, even when it is an emergency. We usually, we have time to explain and we all have time to just mm -hmm. approach things slightly calmer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it's difficult. It's such a difficult situation for, for everyone, I think. Oh, and I must reiterate that absolutely everybody was a complete professional in their job. I mean, the surgeon was obviously highly skilled and everyone there knew what they were doing. And of course, they were they were saving, basically saving my baby's life and, and me at that point in time. And I'll be eternally grateful to the NHS for how they've um, how they supported us, really. Um even though it was obviously a very difficult circumstance, but I got, I got mm. him out on the two pushes, but that's when... That's amazing. I was really proud of that, thanks. <laughs> that is, you should be proud of that, damn right. That is amazing. You haven't had a baby before and you just, you know, <laughs> pushed him out in two pushes. That is really extraordinary. And again, it just goes to show the power that, mm. that the female body is capable of, really. And, and when you've when you need that inner strength most, you find it somewhere. And I often say to women, motherhood, as as it presents itself in various different ways, and sometimes it's it's very difficult, um, but it shows you that you have a whole new level of strength that you never even knew that you had in you. Oh, my goodness. I definitely didn't know I had that in me. And I, I was after told by my husband when we got home eventually um, that the surgeon had said, well, she's got four push attempts and then we do the C-section. So I was relieved wow. that that had been the case. But then, of course, the minute he was born, this is another thing that I'm sure lots of other mums can relate to that's probably happened to them. But I didn't get the scenario I'd expected. I didn't really hear him um I didn't see him he was taken straight from me quite rightly so to obviously save his life but he was immediately needed antibiotics he was given to the pediatric doctor um he couldn't breathe properly and uh, oh they were talking at the time my husband said because I was a bit out of it at this point just in panic as to why why can I not see my baby that he'd be taken to the NICU the, the neonatal the intensive care unit for, for babies and they tried three times to place a tube down his throat. And mirac miraculously, I don't know how. And I they, I remember them saying, oh, he doesn't need to go now. I just remember her saying, mm. he doesn't need to go now. So he started breathing by himself. And I didn't get the skin to him. He didn't get the stuff in. But at least he started breathing. And, and that was the beginning of everything in COVID happening. So my husband was basically told he could hold him 
very quickly and then he was told to go um right. I'd only packed a hospital bag for one night stay as you know the backup bag and I didn't really realize that we would then be I would be on my own in a ward um in my mask with a baby by myself what yes. ended up being seven days I don't even I don't even know how to describe this I know we're I'm, I'm making this podcast go on a lot longer than my normal episodes do I want people to know that the wards are usually very and I'm sure they're trying their hardest in this difficult situation but they're quite positive places normally apparently I think yeah you that said to me that normally you know the husbands are walking up and down with the babies and it's it's all a nice place but this was very very different the environment and I had such bad I think anxiety obviously my little one's health my health being on a drip I was holding I remember holding a bag of my wee um when I eventually walk to get out and walking around with it it's it's very strange but it's not an environment that's conducive to sleep award is it I mean no every four hours checking on you which is great but you can't sleep no exactly there was none of that and I'd been awake so just to paint the picture this is now Sunday he was born at 12 30 a.m on the Sunday I'd been awake since Wednesday evening Thursday roughly it's it's a long time and I began very long time Mm. I began to suffer from something that um I'd never heard of I started to hear voices in my mind um I didn't know at the time I was convinced they were real and Mm -hmm. I thought I could hear other people talking about you know what a bad mum I am already um saying that I'm superficial or all these horrible things or they're going to take my baby away from me and when they eventually let my husband come in the voices were even worse when he came to visit on like day five um they're going to take my husband away from me because of covid I was hearing these voices Mm. and so much so that I remember going out telling one of the midwives on the shift I can hear you're talking about me please can you stop it it's making me feel uncomfortable and I think there was one incident where I'd heard a discussion, but the rest of it was completely in my head. And I was terrified yeah. of the blinds. I was terrified thinking there are people outside listening mm-hmm. in. And I've ever since been getting therapy for that. Thankfully, I'm better now I'm home. But is that something that you see a lot of things like that happening? So what you're describing is it does sound like a form of psychosis and we know um, postnatally women do suffer from various different forms of of mental health uh, illnesses and problems Um, but hearing hearing voices and that kind of paranoia is generally associated um, with psychosis and that and it can be induced from trauma Uh, it can be induced from the lack of sleep and it's a really sad statistic but around about 30,000 women per year suffer from birth trauma, not specifically psychosis, but, but birth trauma. And, you know, that that's something that I can't deny needs a lot of attention and, and, and work on, quite frankly. Um, but it's very reassuring to see the amount of attention that maternal mental health is getting. Um, but you, it's postnatally 
what's going on physiologically in your body is very complex in terms of the, the various different hormonal compositions that need to change and switch up from maintaining a pregnancy to then going through your recovery and, and also breastfeeding your baby should you choose to breastfeed. So, and even if you don't choose to breastfeed, of course, that hormonal composition changes tremendously. So this is without having, you know, this is without in, uh, including in a lack of sleep and a traumatic birth. So, and on top of that, having to care for a tiny person, even mm. though you know this tiny person is coming, that level of responsibility is something that no one can ever properly prepare you for. And even myself, I'm, I, you know, as mentioned, I've been a midwife for a very long time. I'm now having my first baby, but I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that there's nothing that I can do that will quite prepare me for that level of responsibility so on top of that you've got all of these things going on and postnatally many women do suffer with mental health disorders yeah I think um oh sorry I'm off again <laughs> it was something I just never um I've always considered myself quite strong mm. positive you know I, I've been able to face many situations in my life that you know you I and again, it was like another, oh my goodness, I'm going crazy. You start questioning things in your head and I... But you are still strong and positive because of what... Going through the experience that you went through and, and having the symptoms that you had had are simply a result of of your birth it doesn't it doesn't make there's no reflection of who you are as a person on and how strong or how weak or your tolerance level this is you know it's down to physiology it's down to physically what you know everything that your body's going through it's not just it's not just mental strength you know you're as mentioned that all of those hormones that are flying around your body and that composition has completely changed and no matter how resilient you are and how strong you are that is that's going to change how you think and feel it's a normal part of in one way going through some level of like baby blues we think is completely normal for women mm. not to mention everything else that of course you've gone through so yeah it, it's not a reflection of, on strength at all and women women say this all the time that that you know oh, it's me I, I couldn't cope and it's and it's not it's not you at all it's not a reflection of of your personality and, and your level of tolerance it's it's just absolutely not about that but it's it's so easy to think that when you're going through it at the time and you know it's easy for me to say this and give advice and if, and maybe I'll go through the same thing at the time and think, oh, you know, I thought I was stronger at this. I thought I knew how to handle this. Um, but from an outsider's perspective, it's just it's always important. I think we as as women in particular, that we protect each other and we remind each other of this, regardless of your clinical professional background, whatever. Women and mothers need to stick together. A hundred percent. And I have such respect for just women in general. One thing I'd also forgotten about was the fact that I'd had an episiotomy. So I'd been cut during the forceps process, which doesn't even cost yeah. you. Your body goes through yes. such huge, it's the, it's the biggest, most dangerous, yet amazing thing your body can possibly do. Um, and it, I, I was really umming and ahhing whether to share that side of the mental health aspect, because it is incredibly personal and it it was absolutely terrifying but actually after speaking to you on the phone and it does help to debrief and speak about it out loud yes um, just to realize that these things can happen to people but it doesn't and what's what's weird Marie but probably completely natural is that I would do it all over again if I got my mm -hmm. little boy 
that's how much yeah and that love yeah it changes your world the minute you have them next to you I mean the the time in the hospital was traumatic the amount of tests he had to have the antibiotics he was on yes moments where I was making important decisions without my husband by myself because of COVID on the ward you're not allowed outside so I didn't see the sky for seven to eight days or because of coronavirus that also didn't help my mental health at all yeah I mean we know the benefits of nature I talk about this very frequently um I talk about in my book actually when I discuss mental health specifically being out in nature you know it's even prescribed in some countries as forest bathing and it's seen for to be a a cure yeah in some parts of Japan it's actually prescribed forest bathing it's a real thing to help with mental health and it's prescribed sometimes before um any uh, medication so you know that on top of everything else not getting outside getting fresh air seeing a change of scenery is not going to do your mental health any favors no and i think your book is a wonderful example of something that is needed out there because i think for so many women we do need as you are the modern midwife we need a modern um open discussion uh, not a um stiff up a lip kind of approach we need to be discussing everything and i'm going to move on from talking about my my experience now to taking a few questions from our listeners because I've decided in this particular episode not to do a fact or fiction round um I think it's more important to spend time actually just getting questions and answers from you Marie because I think it's so important to dedicate the time for everyone listening um I think so if we start with a question from Sam sure you can resonate she said I am 35 weeks pregnant and I'm a little bit scared of natural birth how long is the average time it takes Mm -hmm. that's a really common question but unfortunately no there's no average time and the most um variable part of labor is actually early labor and latent phase of labor as you well know yours went on for quite some time when you started your contractions on the Wednesday evening I think you said it was and went all the way through to, to Friday afternoon so that's the most variable part of labor especially if you haven't had a baby before and Sam sounds like it's her first baby um approaching birth the most important thing so that's all I can say on length of labor really is that it's so variable but the most important thing approaching birth is that you try something that I call the fear dumping exercise so whatever it is that you're fearful Um, be honest about it so that can either be with your midwife you can talk to her about any of your fears your concerns your worries and she will run through those with you Um, and then if you don't want to do that then write it down on a piece of paper what you're concerned about and I actually this did this when I first fell pregnant I was so nervous I didn't expect it Um, so I did my own fear dumping exercise and what it actually does is it breaks that neurological cycle that circuit that you've got going around in your mind because when you are concerned about something and you don't get it out whether that's writing it down or talking to someone else or even researching it and admitting it to yourself like okay so what am I really concerned about here and almost put that fear on trial and interrogate it how did it get there where did you come from you know do that to it because it 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 changes the dynamic that the fear and the power of the fear has over you because you want to get on top of your fear you don't want your fear to be on top of you so approaching birth that's one of the best things you can do be honest about your fear 
try the fear dumping exercise where you talk to someone else about it you write it down some women even tell me they've written it down they've um screwed it up and they've thrown it away <laughs> and it, they said it felt so liberating but I mean do whatever works best for you but owning that fear understanding it is one of the best things you can do I because you that. yeah you, you really need to work with your natural female physiology Mm -hmm. uh, to approaching labor and birth to even get you into labor but to progress your labor as well so in terms of length of time we mm -hmm. want your natural oxytocin to be flowing as much as possible sorry long-winded answer no, that's good it actually answers another one of the questions that I had as well so that's really really good um and then we have a question from Emily um and she said is a contraction actually painful I mean Emily I, I personally think, well, yeah, they're, they are, they're painful, but you can you can manage them. And mm -hmm. then Priya has said, will eating a curry help induce labour? Marie, you must get mm -hmm. that all the time. I do get that all the time. Uh, the straight up answer is no. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, straight up no. No, it's, it's a bit of a myth. I mean, there's lots of things flying around about what will get you, you into labour. Um, but to be completely frank, if there was one method that would get you into be, in, get you into labor someone would be a billionaire because so many women want to go into labor at 40 weeks yeah. um but a cold curry the theory behind it is that it irritates your bowel therefore it's going to irritate your uterus there is no evidence to support that whatsoever yeah. however if you like a, a hot curry and you enjoy curry indulge go for yeah. it but yeah, exactly. please don't be under any uh misunderstanding that it's going to get you into labor because no. it probably won't and to be honest, guys, listening, I mean, you don't really want an irritated bowel when you're going into labor. I mean, your mm -hmm. body so much. The last thing you need yeah. is stuff <laughs> on top of that. Um, and the final question, um, Anna has said, do you always tear? And I think tearing is one of those big things, isn't it, that yes. every, every woman, I mean, I didn't want an cut, but it happens. Um, mm -hmm. what, what are your thoughts on that, Marie? <laughs> Yeah, so tearing amongst first-time mums, I have to be honest, is, is actually very common. However, there are various different things you can do to help reduce perineal trauma, as we call it. So that's tearing, and there are different grades and types of tears. I won't go into detail about all of them. But perineal massage can actually really help, because rather than give you the statistics, oh, yes, you know, it's very common. I think the actual stats on it are... 80% of women do have perineal trauma so you know that but there's no point in giving that and then not following it up with the solution so one of the best things that you can do that I'm definitely doing um, is perineal massage because that can really help we know from research that especially with first-time mums it reduces perineal trauma and yeah. also to reassure women most of the time women are unaware that they have had a tear and it, I'll have to, I'll, you know, I'll inspect the perineum as we say after, so I'll have a little look down below and say to women, oh, you've got a little first degree tear there or you've got a second degree tear there that, that does need some stitches, you know, and we'll talk through it. And a lot of the time they say, oh, have I? And they don't know because your body's flooded with so many hormones and even endorphins, especially if you do have that, um, an unmedicated birth. And if you don't have, uh, if you do have medication, sorry, then the, you won't feel it anyway, if you have, if you've got an epidural on board. So, you know, most of the time women, women don't even know that they've torn to, to reassure you and they do heal beautifully. 
Mm-hmm. And like you said, you're doing the massage and I did the massage and I had a device called an Epino and I didn't tear. Obviously, I had the cut anyway, but I didn't tear. Mm-hmm. Some people don't. So there are things you can do. But I, I've definitely taken up more than enough of your time, Marie. And I think we should finish with a food for thought um, mm-hmm. because I could literally ask you so many more questions about this subject. And I think mine off the cuff today would be just be open-minded and when Mm -hmm. I say open-minded talk out loud to trusted people but be aware that if you're about to have a birth have your options but just be prepared for every eventuality and just know that at the end of no matter what struggle you go through there is support available um, for you. That's one thing I've realised is that the NHS yes. and other people will be there for you. If you're like me, you're unfortunate enough not to have an ideal scenario. But just know that when you've got that little person there, more often than not, it, it does blur a little bit afterwards, which is nice. And oh, I, I've really learnt that you can prepare and prepare and prepare and you can think you're as fit and healthy as possible you can do everything by the book but it's probably not the best way be a bit more relaxed with your your approach to this subject and mm-hmm. we need to think more and Marie if you could leave our listeners with it with a useful food for yeah. today um what would that be yeah so I think in particular to your plans and and being aware that they may, may well change and and to, to add to that, just always remember, I, I can't stress this enough, that nobody ever fails at labour and birth. There is no right and no wrong way to have a baby. So ha- you know, I'm a massive fan of birth planning, birth preparation. Equip yourself with, with everything that you need to know. And as things unfold and situations potentially evolve and change, ask all of the questions that you need to. Utilise your brain tool as we call it in hypnobirthing that stands for benefits any situation you're presented with that needs to change ask for the benefits ask for the risks ask for the alternatives think about what your instincts your gut instinct or your mum instinct as I like to call it mm-hmm. is telling you and then consider nothing because doing nothing is always an option that you can ask about yeah. um, so making sure that you run through all of your options and to to try as best as possible for you to be the number one decision maker so even if that plan has to change and you do need to go for a c-section or you need to have a forceps birth or whatever it is that as things evolve that you're the one to make that call so as with as with you you didn't want to have a c-section you made the call you were being advised a c-section but you said actually i'd want to try to for forceps Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really important message for women to take away here is that you need to speak up for what your preferences are and in order to speak up them you need to first understand them so it doesn't mean that your birth planning and preparation has gone out of the window because if you didn't do that you wouldn't be in a place to be able to make those decisions yeah so true oh oh, Marie um gosh I don't know how to thank you first of all for being there for me personally but also for guiding us um throughout this particularly different podcast episode there's never been one like this on food for thought before um i hope it helps everyone and if people want to learn a little bit more about you where can they head to 
So I run an Instagram account called The Modern Midwife um, that you can, of course, follow me on. And I also have a website that I update regularly with blogs, um, evidence and various different bits of information. And I also have an online course, antenatal course, that I have just launched. You can find that on themodernmidwife.com. But it's been my pleasure and I feel really privileged to actually have spoken because there's lots of different people that you could have spoken to. So, I, you know, I, I'm grateful it was me. I think it's important to mention the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, the self-promotion side of things is always a bit difficult. I do have a book out called The Modern Midwife's Guide to Pregnancy, yeah. Birth and Beyond. And, you know, I really have covered as much as I possibly can in there to, to put something in the hands of women that where they are truly empowered and able to make informed decisions. Honestly, I can't recommend it enough to everyone listening. And that's particularly why Marie, Marie's been so great. She honestly knows her stuff. So Marie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, you're going to absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get this podcast out there so that we can reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully be able to help more people. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. 